Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Merve Emre reads From the Man Without Qualities by Robert Musil. To learn more from Emre about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, Read By, Merve Emre. Hello, this is Marve Emre, and I will be reading from Robert Musil's The Man Without Qualities, translated by Sophie Wilkins. This excerpt comes from Chapter 32, The Forgotten, Highly Relevant Story of the Major's Wife. He felt the softness of sea, mist, and low black ridges of land asleep in a yellowish-gray light. He remembered a little sea voyage, an escape along the lines of, a trip will do you good, or try a change of scene. And he knew precisely what a strange, absurdly magical experience had superimposed itself by its deterrent force once and for all on all others of its kind. For an instant, the heart of a 20-year-old beat in his breast, whose hairy skin had thickened and coarsened with the years. The beating of a 20-year-old heart inside his 32-year-old chest felt like an improper kiss given by a boy to a man. Nevertheless, this time he did not shrink from the memory. It was the memory of a passion that had come to a strange end. A passion he had felt at 20 for a woman considerably older than he, not only in years, but by virtue of her settled domestic state. Characteristically, he remembered only imprecisely what she looked like a stilted photograph and his memory of the hours he had spent alone thinking of her, took the place of live impressions of the face, clothes, voice, and movements of this woman. He had in the meantime become so estranged from her world that the fact of her having been the wife of an army major struck him as so incredible it was funny. By this time, he thought, she will long have been a retired colonel's wife. According to the regimental scuttlebutt, she was a trained artist, a virtuoso pianist who had never performed publicly out of deference to the wishes of her family. Later on, in any case, her marriage made such a career impossible. She did, in fact, play the piano beautifully at regimental parties, with all the radiance of a well-gilded sun floating above chasms of feeling. And from the first, Ulrich had fallen in love, not so much with this woman's sensual presence as with what she stood for. The lieutenant who at that time had borne his name was not shy. His eye had already practiced on female small game, and even espied the faintly beaten poacher's path leading to this or that respectable woman. But for such twenty-year-old officers, a grand passion, if they thought of such a thing at all, was something else entirely. It was a concept, something that lay outside their range of activity, and was as devoid of experienced content, hence as luminously vacuous as only a really grand concept can be. So when for the first time in his life, Ulrich saw in himself the possibility of applying this concept, it was as good as done. The part played in this by the major's wife was no more than that of the last contributory cause that triggers the outbreak of a disease. Ulrich became lovesick. And since true lovesickness is not a desire for possession, 
but the world's gentle self-unveiling for the sake of which one willingly renounces possession of the beloved, the lieutenant proceeded to explain the world to the major's wife in an unaccustomed and persistent manner such as she had never heard before. Constellations, bacteria, Balzac, and Nietzsche whirled around in a vortex of ideas, the point of which, as she sensed with glowing clarity, was directed at certain differences, not considered a proper subject of conversation in those days, between her own body and that of the lieutenant. She was bewildered by his insistence on linking love with subjects that, as far as she knew, had never had anything to do with love. One day, when they had gone out riding, as they walked beside their horses, she left her hand in his for a moment, and was appalled to find that her hand stayed there as if in a swoon. In the next second, flames ran through them from their wrists to their knees, and a bolt of lightning felled both of them so that they almost tumbled by the wayside, where they found themselves sitting on the moss, wildly kissing, and then overcome with embarrassment, because love was so great and out of the ordinary that to their surprise, they could find nothing to say or do other than what people usually do in such embraces. The horses, growing restive, at last released the lovers from this predicament. The love between the major's wife and this two young lieutenant remained short and unreal throughout its course. They both marveled at it. They held each other close a few more times, both sensing that something was wrong and would not let them come fully together, body to body, in their embraces, even if they shed all obstacles of clothing and morality. The major's wife did not want to deny herself a passion she felt to be beyond her power to judge, but she was throbbing with secret reproaches on account of her husband and the difference in age. When Ulrich told her one day, on some threadbare pretext, that he had to take a long furlough, the officer's lady breathed a tearful sigh of relief. By this time, Ulrich was so far gone in love that he had no more pressing need than to get away as quickly and as far as possible from the vicinity of the cause of this love. He traveled blindly at random, until a coast put an end to the railroad tracks, took a boat to the nearest island, and there, in some place he had never heard of, minimally provided with bed and board, he wrote that first night the first of a series of long letters to his beloved, which he never mailed. These letters, written in the dead of night after filling his thoughts all day, were later lost, as they were probably meant to be. At first he had still had much to say about his love for her, and all sorts of thoughts she inspired in him, but all that was soon and increasingly displaced by the scenery. Mornings the sun raised him from his sleep, and when the fishermen were out on the water, the women and children near their houses, he and a donkey who was grazing among the shrubs and hillocks between the island's two little villages seemed to be the only higher forms of life on this adventurous outpost of the world. Ulrich followed his companion's example and climbed up on a hillock, or lay down on the island's rim in the company of sea, rock, and sky. He had no sense of presuming, because the difference in size did not seem to matter, nor did the difference between mind and nature, animate and inanimate. This communion diminished all kinds of differences. To put it quite soberly, these differences were neither lost nor lessened, but their meaning fell away. One was no longer subject to those divisions that afflict mankind, as described by those religious seized by the mysticism of love, of whom the young cavalry lieutenant at that time knew absolutely nothing. 
Nor did he reflect on these phenomena, as a hunter on the track of wild game might track down an observation and follow it up. Indeed, he hardly noticed them, but he took them into himself. He sank into the landscape, although it was just as much an inexpressible being borne up by it. And when the world surpassed his eyes, its meaning lapped against him from within in soundless waves. He had penetrated the heart of the world. From it to his far-off love was no farther than the nearest tree. In feeling linked living beings without space, as in a dream two beings can pass through each other without mingling, and altered all their relations. Other than this, however, his state of mind had nothing in common with dreaming. It was clear and brimful of clear thoughts. However, nothing in him was moved by cause, purpose, or physical desire, but everything went rippling out in circle after ever-renewed circle, as when an infinite jet falls on a basin surface. This was what he also described in his letters, and nothing else. Life's very shape was completely altered, not placed in the focus of ordinary attention, but freed from sharpness. Seen this way, everything seemed a little scattered and blurred, and being infused all the while with a delicate clarity and certainty from other centers. All of life's questions and occurrences took on an incomparable mildness, gentleness, and serenity, while their meaning was utterly transformed. If, in this state of being, a beetle, for instance, should run past the hand of a man deep in thought, it was not an approach, a passing by, a moving off. Nor was it beetle and man, but a happening that ineffably touched the heart. And not even a happening, but, although it was happening, a condition. And with the help of such tranquil experiences, everything that usually makes up an ordinary life was endowed with a radical new meaning for Ulrich at every turn. In this condition, even his love for the major's wife quickly took on its predestined form. Thinking of her incessantly, he sometimes tried to visualize her doing whatever she might be doing at that very moment, aided by his thorough knowledge of her circumstances. But as soon as he succeeded in seeing his beloved, as if she were physically present, his feeling for her, which had grown so infinitely clairvoyant, became blind, and he had to quickly reduce her image to that blissful certainty of her being there for him somewhere proper to a great love. It was not long before she had turned entirely into that impersonal center of energy, the underground dynamo that kept his lights going, and he wrote her a final letter, setting forth that the great ideal of living for love actually had nothing to do with physical possession, and the wish be mine that came from the sphere of thrift, appropriation, and gluttony. This was the only letter he mailed, and appropriately, the high point of his lovesickness from which it soon declined and suddenly ended. Nine Two Y's Red By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to 92Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, 
please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support 92y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbye.